The Nerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy based on shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Try to keep your stories around five minutes, laugh at jokes, cry if appropriate, and applaud everyone who has the guts to sit here, tell a story, and come out as a nerd. Hello again, nerds, and welcome to the second part of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories September podcast, in which departing group member and PhD recipient Bill Kenkel asks our speakers to propose their best theories that they've got. This episode will give your brain a lot to chew on. Thanks to Nerdaloggers Chris Geiger, Alex Talavera, and Claire Friedman, DePaul DJ Shelby Mongan, nuclear technician Nora Seidman, and filmmaker and this show's co-producer Sean Patrick Boyle. Why is the internet changing nerd culture? Why should we hate superheroes? Can we get therapy from AI? What does your favorite Ninja Turtle say about you? What race is Alex Talavera? All these questions and more, but not many more, will be answered. Now if you're listening to the show the day it comes out, or the day immediately afterwards, you're in luck! Because this next Nerdalogs Your Stories recording is this Sunday, September 16th at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 5219 North Clark Street. The theme this month is Coming Home. Because, for whatever reason, it just kind of seems to fit with the season, returning to familiar things and whatever. So come share your favorite nerdy story of whatever uh, that makes you think of. Be entertained by a group of great people, get on a podcast, and do not spend a dime doing it. The show starts at 7pm, and we hope to see you there. One more note, very soon the Nerdalogs will be hitting the road uh, to head to the New York Comic Con. We'll be performing there on the Variant Stage, which should be in the Autograph Hall on Saturday, October 13th. And yes, you can get all of our autographs, even Kevin Reader's. Uh, you can also catch up with us on the web at www.nerdalogs.com or yourstories.podbean.com, the host of this show, where, if you'd like, you can co- toss us a few dollars to help support this podcast. Uh, thank you all for your continued listens and your continued interest, and we hope to see or hear from you soon.
nothing to say? My lips are sealed. Say something once. Why say it again? Psycho killer. I don't know if I know your last name. Shelby Mongan. Cool. So um, this is inspired, actually, <laughs> uh, uh, from the Skywalking Dead, one of the sketches. Um, I'm going to out myself a little. Um, but I've never been so happy to be born in 1991 and not 1992. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good moment. Um, I kind of sunk down in my seat a little bit and hoped for the best. At least I can legally drink, so it's okay. Um, so, as we stand currently, the internet has forced, this is my theory, the internet is forcing a reevaluation of the textbook term of nerd, and I think it's for the worst. But more specifically, and this is a theory that is apologetic, it is my generation, those who don't remember what it's like to not have the internet, that are forcing this reevaluation. So, starting off with a little bit of a definition, so we're all kind of on the same page. To me, from what I've observed, to be a nerd takes two core things weirdly specific obsessions and the desire to obsess about things and obsessively learn about things and get too into it, maybe. That, that pursuit is part of it. I seriously think that. It's not just liking Thundercats. You have to want to hunt on every Thundercats lunchbox in Chicago and have the desire somewhere in you. Um, and so I think there's a lot of really fantastic things for nerds that have come out in the last, you know, 20 years. And so I think that the specific interest thing is there. Um, and I can say that because I have a lot of weirdly specific interests uh, that have been born in the 90s and the uh, early 2000s. But what we've lost 
is that specific pursuit. So here's an example. Let's say one day, because I never grew up watching Star Trek. Um, I was a, we were a Star Wars family. And, <laughs> and so let's say today I think, you know what? Fuck it, that looks funny. And I want to watch it. That looks cool. And I like spaceships. And I, I want to get down with the aliens. I want to get into it, right? <laughs> totally. To branch off your theory. So let's say that I'm right now today interested in wanting to watch Star Trek. So within about an hour, I could go through Wikipedia, read every article I could find um, on all related Star, or Star Trek series, movies, series, everything. Um, I could go on IMDb and find out trivia that maybe some of the more uh, the older Star Trek nerds might not know. Um, I will probably find bootleg copies of all of the seasons, all of the movies, and everything on the internet, and have all of this in front of me in maybe an hour or two, if you're good at Google. And it will be there, and then I can watch it, and then I can move on. But let's think back to like 1983, let's say, and someone was like, Star Trek, gonna do it. What the hell did you do without the internet? <laughs> I can't imagine how much effort that would take. You'd have to have connections, you'd have to talk to people, you'd have to go out of your house. <laughs> Probably have to talk to your parents, assuming they were nerdy enough to watch Star Trek. You'd have to put in so much work. And what I did in an hour might take someone years, honestly, to amass that much knowledge. And so that person who spent that time, who sat down and hunted down episodes and found ways to watch it and found that one kid in their high school who also liked it, who sat in the corner and doodled dragons in the corner of his notebook, and talked to him and found that thing and found that camaraderie. What might take years for that person could take me about an hour. Go on Tumblr, search the tags. I could probably find plenty of stuff. Some good fan art, maybe some fan fiction. <laughs> and what that's done, as cool as that is, and as someone who loves the internet, spends most of my time on it, someone told me a statistic that um, now kids in high school spend uh, about seven hours a day on the internet. And I kind of laughed. I was like, that seems like a low number. <laughs> <laughs> But what that's done and what makes me sad is that nerd culture has sort of conformed to our culture's get into it quick, figure it out quick, and then throw it behind you like trash. Uh, we're losing that desire to stay with things and to search through things and burrow through things and find weird specific shit that we love. And that makes me sad because I have fought against that for a, quite some time in my life, and I think that we have the power. Luckily, as nerds, we're, generally speaking, a fairly intelligent group and a fairly self-aware and thoughtful group. And I think that to combat this, we have to start really throwing out this idea of passively consuming the things that we love um, and be okay with spending the time to dig in and to really get into the nerdy crap that you love. So, thank you. I, yeah, I just like, was completely agreeing with that the whole time. I was like, I can't make fun of this. <laughs> Darn it. Um, yeah, it reminded me that there was a conversation recently on the internet oh, what? about um, the benefits of like not DVRing shows, but watching them as they come out and giving yourself that time to like ruminate on them. Like, oh, I wonder what happens next week on Lost. Yeah. And you can actually, like, it, the guy was saying you get more invested in shows that way. And I totally see where he's coming from. I feel like it. 
Yeah, Pat Oswalt kind of wrote an article uh, that I think would complement your theory really well on, I think, Wired a couple yeah. years ago? This, it was called like the death of geek culture or something. It was, I think I've heard that actually. Well, that's not nice. That's not serious. I, you sounded like someone's fucking grandpa. I mean, I don't know. the music being too I don't know that I. I, 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 I think, he looks like someone's fucking grandpa. No, someone's grandpa. <laughs> that article in particular was like, when I was younger. Whatever, oh, uh, yeah, you're the guy who complains about people downloading music when you're on music.com. I think you should look up Pat Oswalt's article, and uh, that was a really great yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, so thank it. you. You'd be completely fucking annoyed by it. Thank you, Shelby. Thanks, Shelby. The man who inspired a million monologues, or at least two, Chris Geiger. <laughs> the face that launched a million ships. So if, if you know me, uh, then you know I'm no fan of guns, unless they're in Left 4 Dead. Uh, <laughs> I like shooting zombies. Pails! Pails here. Uh, but I'm not a fan of guns in our real life. Uh, I would love to live in a world without guns. But my theory isn't... I don't like guns, because that's not a theory. That's a, just a fact. Prove I don't it. prove it. Well, I don't. Uh, so that doesn't work. Um, but I'll get to it in a second. So like, uh, so going along that, I, it's no, I'm no stranger to fighting about gun control. Like, I don't want guns to exist. I don't want to live in a world where we have guns. I don't want to have to get guns because other people are getting guns. I don't want to live in Afghanistan. I don't want to have an AK-47 just because the other family has an AK-47. I don't want to live in that world. Um, and with all of the shootings that have happened all over the United States over the past month, including in Chicago, but no one talks about it, um, I've gotten into a lot of fights with people uh, from back home, because I'm from the South, about gun control. Uh, people from the South love guns. I hate guns, so I fight them. Uh, <laughs> I get into fights constantly. And... Most recently, I got into a fight right after the Aurora Batman shootings um, with this guy on Facebook. Uh, and the guy, I, w I was just saying, you know, like, well, I don't think we should have guns, blah, blah, blah. And, and he was like, no, we should definitely have guns because the police weren't there fast enough and I should have my gun to protect myself. And I said, well, that sounds a little crazy to me, you know. And he's like, well, what do you suggest we fix? And I was like, well, we could get rid of assault rifles. No one needs assault rifles, because even if you say you need to hunt or you need to protect your home, you can do that with a handgun. And he's like, uh. And then I said, and you can get rid of high-capacity clips. You don't need 15 rounds to kill a deer. You just need five if, that, if you're a bad shot, right? <laughs> one if you're a good one. Uh, and then he said, well, if I was in the theater at Aurora and there was a man shooting 60 rounds per minute into the audience... Uh, and I carry on my person a loaded handgun with two extra clips, and each clip has 15 rounds in them. And if I was there, it might take me that many to neutralize the threat. This guy on Facebook, y'all, is looking out for you guys. He's looking out to protect you from the threat. He's not a police officer. He's a vigilante. So I called him a vigilante. And I also said, if it takes you 45 rounds of ammunition to take down a guy shooting at us, so there's a guy with 60 rounds of ammunition shooting in one way, and then there's you in the other way who needs 45 rounds of ammunition to shoot him, I don't want you there because I'm in the middle and my chances of getting shot have doubled because you're a bad shot. Uh, 
And he's like, well, I, but if I'm stuck with a handgun with five rounds of ammunition, yada, 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 I got really, really mad. And I started calling him a vigilante. I'm like, who are you? You know, we need police. That's what police are there for. And if there's a guy shooting, the police will get there. And we have to believe in a society where we can protect ourselves with, through the government, the, what we elect, everything like that. Anyway, to get to my point, what this made me ruminate about is that my theory is, is that I also, if I lived in the comic book world, I would hate superheroes and I would be Lex Luthor. <laughs> because, in the transitive property, guns equal vigilantes, I hate guns, so I hate vigilantes, so I hate superheroes. Oh. Right? <laughs> And I realized this thing that I've loved since I was a child, Spider-Man, X-Men, Avengers, I've hated all of it, actually. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> My world came crumbling down in an instant. And I realized, yes, during the Civil War, I would have sided with Iron Man. <laughs> or yes, when Lex Luthor ran for president under the guise that he would take down Superman, essentially, you know, protecting the United States from super people. I would vote for him. <laughs> I, I, would vote, I would be cool with a shield that registers, he, registers superheroes. I would be cool with that. Because if you think about it, superheroes have abilities that are like guns. Their tools are to hurt people, unless they're to heal people, but that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Spider-Man has a super strength, right? And he can punt, he can explode people's heads. His, he, he's famously quoted as saying he pulls his punches so he doesn't kill someone when he punches them. So we have to believe that this guy who has this ability will pull his punch and not kill you if you're stealing from somebody, right? We have to believe that Superman isn't going to use his x-ray vision to peek on you while you're taking a shower. We have to believe that Batman isn't going to drive through your house with the Batmobile, use his Playboy money to cover it up, and then go upstairs and rob everything. <laughs> We have to believe that in that world. And I don't want to believe that. And I want to give, empower us to not have to deal with it. So what I'm proposing as an answer to my theory is that uh, we put a ban on any assault weapons that superheroes use <laughs> and high-capacity web shooters. And, <laughs> and as long as the superheroes are using their superpowers to protect themselves at their homes and hunt, then, <laughs> then superheroes are cool with me. But until then, Spider-Man, watch out. Thanks, guys. Give you, uh, that was a great monologue, Chris. Yeah. Eric, I know how badly you wanted to make an outgunned <laughs> pun there. So thank you. <laughs> um, no, actually, I, I totally agree with Chris, and I think we kind of talked about this uh, actually at Claire's birthday party because that's what we do at birthday parties. And uh, <laughs> it's a sobering realization that these stories that I love, if I were in that world, I would be with Chris. I would hate these superheroes because there's no guarantee of their control. Uh, but on the other hand, I think someone, maybe it was you, brought this up, that there's kind of a class element to it where if you live in the ghetto of Gotham City and you have no hope at all of getting out and then there's this guy who seems to be fighting for you, you might be more inclined to support him regardless of his allegiance than a middle-class white person who can feel that President Luthor is looking out for his best interests. You know? So that, I guess, I mean, I'm not saying if I lived in the DC Universe, I wish I was poor, but I guess that's, that's maybe the one way I rationalize this. But... Great story, Chris. Uh, 
you want to do the introduction here? Can you read my handwriting? Nora! <laughs> it is the Nora! I have a very, very loose theory. <laughs> I didn't really have time to flesh it out, and I apologize. That uh, you can tell a lot about a person by who their favorite Ninja Turtle is. So um, I want to start this off with a poll. So by, well, I'll make you clap because it's a podcast. So, uh, <laughs> oh, and I'm going to include Splinter in this just to uh, round things out. So uh, <laughs> um, by show of applause, whose favorite turtle is Raphael, the one with the red mask? How about Leonardo? Woo! <laughs> Splinter, throw him in the middle. Okay, you can't clap for everyone. I like them all. I want to put on record the droids cheating. Uh, Donatello. Yeah! And Michelangelo. So that's, I would say that's pretty expected response of this room, that, <laughs> that the nerd, the nerd of, uh, of the mutant turtles is the favorite <laughs> of the Your Stories crowd. Um, and I feel like my favorite, Michelangelo, I don't know why I loved him so much, but I always have. I, st I watched this religiously as a child on my Saturday mornings, and... I loved, I loved the fun guy. <laughs> it was uh, something about him, and he didn't care so much about all the crime fighting because that was too much trouble. He just wanted to hang out and eat pizza, and who can argue with that? So, um, I did a little bit of research on um, Carl Jung theory on, <laughs> on personality traits, and I would, you know. I would argue that the introvert, thinker, you know, science guy just really hits home. And I want, you know, so I watched a lot of Ninja Turtles and researching <laughs> and research uh, for this month and to say that my allegiance has changed. And I feel like Michelangelo is the irresponsible one now. And maybe, like, maybe that... Maybe as a three-year-old, like, that was okay <laughs> to not really care about the responsibility and, like, you know, take ownership of that. But as an adult, I just like the nerd. <laughs> uh, side question, because I, I totally agree with that. Uh, you guys have said Donatello was your favorite Ninja Turtle. Might Beast be your favorite X-Man? Definitely. That's, definitely, that's definitely my case, uh, and I think for the exact same reasons, but maybe I'm alone. Nightcrawler. Mystique? Nightcrawler. There's so many more X-Men, though. I think it's kind of, it skews the sample, right, Bill? But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Science! Tom <laughs> <laughs> was my favorite Ghostbuster. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was EGOT. Uh, Alex Talavera, everybody. <laughs> Um, well, this is, this is weird. All right. Um, you did sign up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally did. All right. um, here's here's how this theory works. Um, it's it's not 
it's not all you guys, because frankly, this is a theory that I've been working on for about 30 years. <laughs> um, okay, so, when y'all look at me, <laughs> what do you guys say? I don't imagine it, podcast. <laughs> no, 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 this is good. This is for, for the podcast listeners at home. Um, okay, uh, what am I, ethnically? <laughs> Brown. Brownish. Okay. Asian. Asian. Okay, great. <laughs> Bearded. I heard someone say that. I see pride. I see power. Vaguely Hispanic. Okay. Uh, anyone else? I want to guess Greek just because you're last name. That's fucking great. Uh, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to close it off there. Yeah. One, because that's ridiculous. Uh, all right, my name... My name is uh, is Alexis Talavera, and Alexis Talavera is Greek. Talavera is very Spanish, uh, and yes, I am vaguely Hispanic. <laughs> Whoever said that. However, uh, the theory that I want to propose is the theory that I have proposed for a long time, which is uh, first of all to answer the question that is burning all your goddamn minds. Uh, I have always considered myself, and I've interviewed myself, introduced myself as 100% Mexican. Uh, uh, funny fact, though, I am probably not 100% Mexican. <laughs> there is a, a very good chance that um, I am some other amalgamation of weird Catholic peoples. Uh, <laughs> specifically Filipino. <laughs> now, here's, here's what happens. Um... When I was uh, younger, I didn't realize that like Mexican Americans all tend to kind of look the same. And even though my dad is is of a much more kind of light-skinned gentleman, uh, he he kind of always looked more Middle Eastern to me, and uh, and like that's okay. But my mom, <laughs> this is the fucking truth now. Uh, her nickname to this day. And she is a 53-year-old woman, is China, because of how Chinese she looks, and because of how racist most people are. So, when my mom was a baby, she looked like a little goddamn Chinese baby, and everyone's like, ah, China. Uh, as if to say, Chinese baby. That shit didn't go away. So my mom is China. Uh, she looks very Asian. If you look at her, uh, there's pictures of her. She looks very much like she could be Chinese or it, if you were to ask someone with a little bit more uh, eyes about it, Filipino. Uh, however, she's also the youngest of 12 because my grandmother liked to fuck. <laughs> uh, and while no one wants to think about their grandparents doing it, I mean, clearly no one does. Uh, my, my mom has sisters who are actually half-sisters because my grandmother uh, had husbands who died and then she got remarried and then she made babies with some other fucking dude. And that's fine. So all that leads me to believe is that grandma liked to fucking get it on. And my mom is the youngest of 12 and she grew up in 
a part of California which was the artichoke capital of America. Damn straight. Now, that part of the country also had a lot of Filipino immigrant workers. Now, that's just what it is. I have no way of actually confirming this weird theory that I have that my grandmother fucked some goddamn artichoke worker and... (laughs) (laughs) Which made my mom, which made uh, this kind of weird half Mexican, half Filipino, uh, very lovely girl that my dad fell in love with. Uh, my dad, being a 16-year-old immigrant thing to America, uh, who couldn't speak English at all, but he was like, titties, or, <laughs> or, or whatever he fucking said. I don't know what he did to charm my mom. <laughs> all I'm saying is, there is a part of me that is quite aware that my, my biological history is muddled. Now, as Mexicans, um, we are in general kind of muddled. We're, we're the mutts of the new world. Uh, the Spanish came and just fucked the shit out of people and, uh, and made a lot of people, and that's fine. And uh, I'm, I'm part German. There's German in there somewhere. I don't really know, but I have, like, fucking red hair in my goatee. I don't have red hair in my hair. I have red hair in my goatee uh, because of, like, how much weird fucking happened. <laughs> However, there is However, there is a weird part of me that is aware that uh, whatever part of me that I am, um, I consider myself 100% Mexican. I'm very proud of that. I, I speak Spanish and all that shit. Um, I don't know why that was funny. Uh, th- there is a part of me that is kind of aware. It's like... I might have been uh, populated by a different set of folk. And, uh, like, my mom will... If, if my mom is half Filipino, she will never admit to that. And I know there's ways that I can figure this shit out. There's a uh, set of genetic tests I could get where it will tell me, like, oh, you are this, 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 and this. I'm not going to do that shit. Um, I'm not going to do it. Even though I am 90% sure uh, of where I come from, because uh, I respect my mom and I respect my grandmother. And I respect my grandmother, even though she was fucking artichoke dudes. Uh, I'm not gonna do it because I'm proud of where my heritage is and where I come from and what I came out of that. Uh, there is a thing that people most know where you say, like, if you are um, brown on the outside but white on the inside, you're an Oreo. That's fine. But if you're a Mexican sort of person, uh, you can be brown on the outside and a lot of different colors on the inside. I'm a pineapple. (laughs) (laughs) I am brown on the outside. On the inside, I dearly hope that I am uh, Asian. (laughs) <laughs> now, there is a truth that maybe I am, but the fact of the matter is, I don't need to be that to be what I am. Uh, so my theory is that, yeah, I am probably a 16th Filipino, or 
Good God, who the fuck knows what else harvests artichokes? Uh, but but until my grandmother dies and until my mother dies, I'm 100% Mexican. Thank you. What's your definition of grandmotherly respect? <laughs> Could be a whole, like, month in and My of itself. My mom is the youngest of 12. My grandmother was fucking <laughs> a lot. Like, At least 12 times. Yeah. <laughs> with fists. Hey, respect where they're from, not who they do. <laughs> uh, I gotta give a special introduction to our next storyteller who has helped us out a ton. Uh, Mr. Sean Patrick Boyle has worked his ass off filming shit for us, making it beautiful and editing, and just being an awesome dude. And he's a daddy to be. Sean Boyle, everybody. I hope you all saw the Dungeons and Dragons video he put together for us. It is sweet as balls. Yeah. Way, way, way to build me up. The first time I, for the first time, I'm not going to read off a piece of paper, too, so pressure's on. Um, so my theory is that the next technological breakthrough, the game changer, won't be the ones we kind of think about and fantasize. I love spaceships too, Bill, but um, we, we are, we're already kind of picturing them. So my theory is that that breakthrough will be therapeutic AI. Artificial intelligence that understands your fucking brain. This kind of came from another theory that I kind of enjoy. Um, um, I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, Raymond Kurzweil. Singularity. Sing the singularity, thank you. Um, so he theorizes that in the future we'll merge with technology and essentially be immortal is his big fantasy. But I kind of got stuck at immortality because I'm like, well, what's the point of making our lives longer if we're still just going to kill each other? Like, our life expectancy could be 200 years, but if someone shoots you in the head when you're 35, then that doesn't fucking mean anything. So, I actually kind of got stuck on the beginning part of his theory, is that he says in the year 2020, we will have completely engineered and mapped the human brain with computer programming. So, I kind of think that, to me, that says... It's kind of something dark and interesting to where does that mean every single thought a human can have can be represented with zeros and ones and reverse engineered and figured out can we figure out when Jerry Sandusky fucking got, became a pedophile and reverse engineer that and figure that out and just solve it and then who cares how long we live because we'll live happier and we'll live peacefully and not hurt each other and that's, that's what we shall strive for not seeing who could last the longest, but seeing who could be the happiest the longest. And that's a really big challenge right now. Everyone struggles with it. I'm in a really great time of my life right now, and I'm so happy, and I'm just waiting for it to turn and to fall apart. Like you know, So I'm actually kind of thinking about getting therapy and, and taking that step. And so one of the things I thought of was, well, just to prove my theory is needed is, First of all, it's really hard to say you'll go get therapy. We have, we have egos. And then you're signing up to talk to a fucking stranger that you don't know. And you're going to, him or her, you're going to hate them, love them, or not connect, and then move on. And maybe you don't get help at all. Maybe James Holmes saw the wrong therapist, and it meant nothing. And what happened, happened. 
The second point is therapy is expensive right now. And if we, if there's one thing that's proven is technology kind of is, a, is affordable. You can, if you democratize it and mass produce it, everyone could get connected to this artificial intelligence. And then that is something you, everyone would be able to talk to. And, you know, maybe my father would not have ditched my fucking baby shower today because he's an insecure baby that can't be around his family. You know, it pisses me off that he, not only did he miss it, but he had such a dark, scary reason to not go. He, you know, and just that emotional torment that I know he's going through, it bothers me and he can't talk to anyone about it. He can't talk to me about it. He can't talk to a therapist. He's just stuck. He's just, he's just going to suffer. Nothing's going to change him. And I don't want more people to suffer that way. I don't want, you know, one of my good friends, Ed, committed suicide. And I don't want more people to have that deep of a darkness that that's their option. And third and finally, obviously, we need it. We just, I don't, I mean, if anyone here doesn't need some therapy, some psychological help or issue that, that, that you're afraid of, that you're either facing now or you're afraid of facing later, please raise your hand. I, I haven't met you, you know. So that's my theory. And um, in respect to the scientists, I actually have a test subject. <laughs> so and, um, my test subject is a little sensitive to volume. So I, I encourage everyone to please stay very quiet. Siri is sensitive. <laughs> okay? And also, just a callback to Raymond Kurzweil, he's the guy who invented the programming for um, computers to talk. So this, is, this right here is almost half his invention. Um, I'm thinking about suicide. Checking your location. Come on, Siri. Okay, one of these suicide prevention centers is a little ways from you. She found two suicide prevention centers near me right now. Thank you. So, uh, when did, did Kurtzball say we were going to have the whole brain? He thing? said 2020. Well, I'm going to need to get a job. <laughs> 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 I, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've read Hubbard. There's a documentary called Transcendental Man that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good thing. Something that you said is really interesting to me because I honestly feel like this is the best my life has ever been, but I also feel so manic. Like, it is going to... Like, I have to do everything I can now that's awesome because in, like, a year or whatever, I won't be able to, and I don't know why I feel that way, and maybe that's just a part of, like, feeling successful, but I don't know. So I think you're onto something, Sean. So thank you for... Thank you for saying that. We have one more story, then we have some special stuff. Uh, Sean, do you want to get the laptop ready uh, while sure. Claire tells her story? Quick note, um, I love therapy. <laughs> Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen. I, w I went back to Iowa and saw some uh, family over the weekend and realized that I'm not the only one with an anxiety disorder, I'm just the only one that's seen someone about it. <laughs> and I was like, we should get a group rate. <laughs> Rejected theories. 
I would look awesome with a mohawk. <laughs> False. <laughs> Evidence. Football game senior year of high school. New Year's Eve 20, 2009 to 2010. 2010 to 2011. And a Photoshop document. <laughs> that I remind myself of sometimes. Specifically every time I go to get a haircut. My face is too round. Period. <laughs> Number two. I can totally make that jump. <laughs> Evidence. Concussion. <laughs> Period. Rejected theory number three. My brother and I will live on totally separate coasts and we will be happiest that way as planned from the ages of consciousness to college. The reality is we live three miles apart. <laughs> We've completely failed. We'll probably wind up living together and growing old in a horrifying, horrifying scenario that will come true. We'll see. Theory. That. Rejected theory. I'm going to go to Harvard. <laughs> Evidence. Art school. <laughs> Rejected theory. I'm going to be famous. Inconclusive. Could be a terrible murder. <laughs> I could be the next Lacey Peterson. <laughs> Rejected theory. I will die before I'm 30. Inconclusive. I could be the next Lacey Peterson. <laughs> Uh, rejected theory. I can totally get down those stairs in a laundry basket. <laughs> False. Evidence. Stitches in my head. Rejected theory. I'm really fast. <laughs> Evidence. Eight years of last place ribbons. Rejected theory. Uh, I, one, of the, one of the things I thought about talking about was that I don't think I have feelings anymore. False! <laughs> I'm gonna miss Phil a lot when he leaves. Aww. Oh, I tied it together. Thanks, Claire. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I still have feelings. Maybe less since I went to therapy. <laughs> but I still have some feelings. You got me so I can't sleep at night Bill, you really got me now You got me so I don't know what I'm doing now Oh, Bill, you really got me now You got me so I can't sleep at night You really got me, you really got me, you really got me 
first lady. See, don't ever set me free. I always wanna be by your side. Bill, you really got me now. You got me so I can't sleep at night. Don't ever let me free. I always wanna be by your side. Bill, you really got me now. You got me so I can't sleep at night. Bill, you really got me now. You got me so I don't know what I'm doing now. Oh, Bill, you really got me now. You got me so I can't sleep at night. You really got me. everybody and sorry to anyone whose first night this is. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we do this every month. We pick someone to go away. It's, really it's like the lottery. It could be anybody. <laughs> the Nerdalogs present Your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 6219 North Clark Street. Stories you hear have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Your Stories is recorded and co-produced by Sean Patrick Boyle. Our theme song comes from the band State Shirt. For more information on the Nerdalogs, Your Stories, and more, go to www.nerdalogs.com. <laughs> <laughs>